it is that God's people are coming together in prayer the way we are. How significant that is. It's very difficult. And I will say this as a pastor who's been serving in the Waterloo region for many years. It is very difficult to gather churches together to pray. In fact, it takes a move of the Spirit for that to happen. You know, there was a, a, a scholar, a Bible scholar that once said, I forgot his name, but uh, he's from Moody Bible College. But anyway, he, he said that prayer doesn't bring revival. Prayer is revival. It is revival. When God's people come together to pray, it's revival. You're in the midst of it. And so what's happening right now with prayer in the park It's not just an event. It's not just this event that we're putting on once a year. It's an historic happening. It doesn't happen regularly. This is very strange yet divinely orchestrated by God. Last year we had hundreds of people come together from Many different denominations, backgrounds. We had Catholic nuns worshiping with Mennonite sisters. It was so beautiful, holding hands. Unbelievable. When we see that kind of thing happening, revival is here. It's happening. And you know, I've been studying revival. I'm a huge, huge pursuer of revival. Many of you know this at Trinity. It's my DNA. I think God's placed that in me. I've been studying revival, and there's this one story. It's this, back in the 1850s, in New York City, there was a prayer movement that took place, 1857. And there was just a a regular guy by the name of Jeremiah Lantfear. Just a regular, regular guy. He came to the Lord through the preaching of Charles Finney, who was a revivalist, and he, he gave his life to the Lord through a Charles Finney revival uh, meeting. And he gave his life to Jesus. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to live. I'm sold out for Jesus. And he began to evangelize. Like right away, he began to tell people about Jesus. He went door to door all across New York City, knocking on people's doors and being like, hey, you need Jesus. Hey, Jesus loves you. You need Jesus. And, and you know what? The response was very, it was frustrating. Nobody, almost no one responded to his call to the call, the gospel. And he was super frustrated. And so he went to God and he's like, God, what should I do? And the Lord placed in his heart to pray, to gather people to pray. And so he created these leaflets, 20,000 of them, inviting people to a prayer meeting at lunchtime on a Wednesday, 12 to 1, one hour prayer meeting. He, he, he sent out all these leaflets all across New York City, 20,000 of them. And on that first prayer meeting, he sat there, and for the first 10 minutes, nobody showed up. Nobody. 20,000 people were invited. Nobody showed up. 15 minutes go by. No one shows up. Half an hour goes by, and finally, one person comes in, and another. And by, you know, by half an hour in, six people came to that first prayer meeting out of 20,000. That's how hard it is to gather people to pray, church. Six people came to pray. We had hundreds last year. 
hundreds. I'm believing for a thousand. That's not normal. Jeremiah Lanfear, he had six people. He prayed and he's like, you know what? As frustrating as this is, we're going to keep going. So the next week he had a prayer meeting again. Forty people showed up at the next one, the second one. And he was like, wow, let's do this every day. And so every day during lunch hour, 12 to 1, there was a prayer meeting in New York City at a church. And it started to spread. Hundreds started coming. Thousands started coming. Could you imagine a thousand people coming to this church? Lunch hour to pray? That's a move of the Spirit, folks. That takes a move of the Holy Spirit. And that began to happen. That began to happen. Thousands of people come. And all of a sudden, this prayer movement started to spread. It went viral before the internet. Okay? Before there was a thing called the internet and going viral, it went viral. And it went all across the United States. Dallas had prayer gatherings of thousands of people all across the United States. And all of a sudden, there was a move of the Holy Spirit that brought a million souls to Christ through that prayer revival. And you know what? They called it the layman's prayer revival. And I really don't like that term. Layman, laity, clergy, like there's this divide. But that's what they called it. And but the beautiful thing was, it wasn't the pastors employed by a church who ran these prayer meetings. It was the saints that ran these prayer meetings. And it just spread and it spread. Again, one million people came to the Lord. Christian organizations started to be birthed. YMCA was one of them. Young Men's Christian Association was birthed out of this revival. The, I, the, the notion of Sunday school came out of this revival. Sunday school was not really a thing before this. Because they, see, at the time, they were thinking, okay, the Great Awakening happened before and all these wonderful things. They heard stories of God moving and revival and people coming to the Lord by, in masses. They heard all these stories, but then a couple generations go by and it's all lost. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like the story of scriptures. A couple generations go by, it's all lost. And so they were like, you know what? We need to teach the next generation the things of God. And so they created Sunday school. Came out of this revival. So much happened and it all started when God's people across all different denominational backgrounds came together in unity to pray. And so this morning, I want to just give us a reflection, just a brief reflection about unity. And we're going to look at a psalm, a very short psalm, Psalm 133. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to that. Uh, If not, no problem. It's going to be on the screen there for you. Psalm 133. This is what it says. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And so the title for my sermon this morning is Unity. 
Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for what you are doing. We, I, we recognize it is by your hand. That if it weren't by your hand, this would not be possible. God, you are calling your people to pray, to seek your face for Waterloo Region because you intend to answer the prayers of your people. To see your church renewed, restored, revived so that we would preach the gospel without apology, God. That we would stand for Jesus despite being a part of this generation that is going in all sorts of directions, God, away from your will. We need you to send revival to your church, God, to renew us. And you are doing that right now. How awesome is that? God, we thank you. God, I pray that you would be with us. Help me to preach this morning that your spirit would not only preach the wor- uh, anoint the words, but anoint our hearts to receive from you that rhema that would change our lives so that we can live for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to unpack Psalm 133 this morning. Again, it's a very short psalm. Um, and the, it starts like this. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. The Hebrew word for brothers is achim. Let me hear you say achim. Oh, you got to go achim. Chutzpah. I love Hebrew, the Jewish language. Achim. Achim. Yes. It's passionate, right? Achim. That word achim is talking about family, brotherhood, brethren. Family. It's talking about family. Now, there are some biblical scholars that believe that this psalm was written by David when he finally became king. And when the people of Israel finally looked to him as their leader. Because you see, when David was anointed to be king, he didn't become king right away. It took 15 years for him to become king. 15 years. There are times when God will give you a promise. And when it's spoken to when it's fulfilled can be 15 years. That's another sermon. David finally becomes king. And he's writing to the people. And he addresses them as family. We're one family. The people of God are a family. Now like any family, there are times when we experience strong relational bonds. There are times when we experience the lack of strong relational bonds. It goes in all sorts of different directions. The story of the Israelites is very much like that. Which is probably why David addresses the people this way. To say, listen, unity is important. Because our history shows us that we have not been united. There's always problems. And I'm sure we can all relate to that. When our families, when we get together, we experience problems. It's not good. It's not pleasant. 
the Park home, my parents had three sons. I'm the oldest. There's a younger one, Jason. His name's Jason. The youngest one's Johnny. Growing up was, I mean, it was good at times. But it was very tumultuous at times as well. Three boys. And we have very stubborn tendencies, all three of us. And so often, my brother and I would fight a lot. We, we fought a lot, actually. Um, physically, too. <laughs> it was not a good scene. My parents must have been praying for us. But anyway, it was, it was hard. Very difficult times. Even as we got older, uh, becoming adults, you know, there's times where we have good times, but there's times where we get into serious arguments. And it could be over something little, like the Raptors, or baseball, or UFC or something, and all of a sudden it turns into this argument and we're bringing up past things and like hurling insults and it's like, what? And it's really not pleasant, especially for those who are in our company. Like our, my parents, when, we're, when, our brothers, when the brothers are together, we're fighting and we're, we're in the presence of my parents. Man, they, it's not comfortable for them. It's really not. It can be brutal. But there are times when it's really good as well. Last year, we had the opportunity to go to Calgary. My youngest brother, Johnny, and I, we flew out to visit Jason, uh, the middle brother, in Calgary. Uh, He's actually, he's moving back now, but uh, he was out there. And uh, the three of us, we got to go to uh, Banff and Lake Louise. And we even drove up to Edmonton and went to West Edmonton Mall. And so we spent a few days together. Um, packed in a small car, packed in a hotel room, you know, yet everything was awesome. We got to talk about the good old days, and it, it, was, it, was, it was great. You know, we got along very well. It was very good. It was very pleasant. Now, I'm sure we can all relate to this when we have our family get-togethers. Maybe it's once a year where, we get, where you get together with your family members, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts and uncles, and celebrate and come together, have a meal together and share stories. Isn't it great when there's unity, when there's conversation and love, mutual understanding? It's just so great when we can have family get-togethers like that. But then there's that one uncle or aunt or cousin or brother, and you're like, What's wrong with you? Why do you have to ruin everything, right? And it just, it turns into this burden. It can be extremely burdensome when families are not on the same page. When we're we're not dwelling together in unity, it can be difficult. And that is precisely what David is getting at in Psalm 133. When brothers and sisters, when God's people are united, it's a good thing. And he goes on to describe what this good thing is like. Okay? He says this in verse 2. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And you might think of that and be like, what? <clears throat> what is that? That's a very strange image. And for us, it doesn't really make sense. But for Old Testament times, this was incredibly significant, what David was saying. He was talking about anointing. You see, in the Old Testament times, only certain individuals were anointed. There were kings, prophets, 
and priests. That's it. They were anointed with oil. And that's what this passage is describing. The anointing of Aaron, the priest. He was the first priest to the Israelites. Now the word anoint means to pour out, to smear. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says this, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. That's David. Anointed him. Poured out oil on him in the midst of his brothers. Okay. Now this anointing, it was done in a specific way. First of all, it was done by putting oil inside a ram's horn. Now, just imagine, I think you could get about this much oil inside of a ram's horn, okay? And the oils that they used were a blend of very fragrant oils and spices. And so, you know, like essential oils, right? Very fragrant. So imagine a horn full like this, full of fragrant oil being dumped on your head. What would happen? All that oil would just completely saturate you. Saturate your hair, your face. It'll be sticky. It would cover everything. It would just seep into your clothes. It would just be all over you. And the smell, the fragrance would just emanate from you. Right? That picture is a symbolic picture of what it's like to be anointed by God's Spirit. That God's Spirit is all over you, saturated all in you. And that God's Spirit emanates from you like the fragrance of the oil to achieve the purposes that God has for your life. That's how significant this picture was. Now Aaron, mentioned in, in Psalm 133, Aaron was, again, the first priest of Israel. He was Moses' brother. And he was consecrated. He was anointed with oil for a specific purpose. The Bible says that he was anointed with oil to be consecrated to the Lord. The word consecrate means to make holy, to make sacred, to set someone apart. And so the oil that covered Aaron represented what it was like for a person to be consecrated, set apart. They were completely saturated by the Spirit of God. Because only God can make someone holy. Only God can do that. We can't make ourselves holy. The Bible says that all fall short of the glory of God. It's God. God is the one. And so this anointing is a symbol of God pouring out His Spirit over you to make one holy. It's a work of God. And so this psalm is talking about how good and pleasant it is when God's people come together in unity. It's like being anointed with oil. It's like God's presence comes down upon you as the people are gathered together in unity. His presence is in the midst of you, emanating out from you, out from us. Unity brings the manifest presence of God. 
And Jesus, he expresses this truth in Matthew 18, verse 20, where he says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Jesus is with us when we gather in unity. That's what's happening now. That's what's going to happen at Victoria Park this afternoon. The Lord Jesus is among us when we gather together in unity. Now, we need to, I need to mention this, that unity does not mean uniformity. That we all have to be the same. That we all have to talk the same. Dress the same. Act the same. Behave the same. That's not what unity is about. It's not that we all have to be the same. You know, cults do that. That's how cults operate. You got to speak this way. You got to act this way. You got to dress this way. You got to do this exactly this way. That's what cults do. The church, the body of Christ is not like that. We are an expression of the glory of God among the diversity of God's people. We're so diverse. We're so diverse. We're different. We come from different cultures and backgrounds. We're so diverse. We're diverse even in the way we hear things. We hear things differently. It's Laurel, not Yanny. I don't know what, how you hear Yanny. For those of you who hear Yanny, it's Laurel, okay? Laurel. If you don't know what I'm talking about, YouTube Laurel versus Yanny. I hear Laurel all day. But isn't that crazy? Isn't that interesting? How we hear differently. We're so diverse, right? The church is not about uniformity. I love how Paul describes the church. He uses the analogy of the body. The body. Hands, feet, eyes, nose, ears, mouth. How could the hand say to the eye, I don't need you? How could the, the foot say to the mouth, why do you talk so much, man? Okay? Because I'm a mouth. You're a foot. We're different. But when we can come together in unity, it's a beautiful thing we need each other's unique differences just look at jesus's disciples very different he had fishermen he had tax collectors zealots a zealot was basically a person who was extreme about their faith and their cultural identity extremist would be another way to put it but anyway he had these this ragtag group of very diverse people among his fold. And, and the people that came to Jesus, very different. Samaritans, Roman soldiers, Pharisees, they came to Jesus. People who would not normally ever sit together, Jesus brought together. How amazing is that? And it was through this diverse group of people that the kingdom of God exploded onto this earth and spread and expanded to flip the known world upside down for the glory of God. It's amazing what can happen when God's people dwell in unity. 
where there is unity within the diversity of the church, there is revival. God moves when we come together in unity. Now in the last verse, it says this. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And so David, he caps off his psalm by saying, Hey, this is where the blessing is bestowed. And you might ask, where? Where is this blessing bestowed? And you might look back and say, well, it's on Mount Zion. We go to Mount Zion and that's where the blessings bestowed, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about something different. You see, the unity of God's people is like the dew of Hermon on Mount Zion. So, for there the Lord commands his blessing. Where is that talking about? It's talking about where God's people are united. Where God's people are in unity. That's where the commanded blessing flows. Life forevermore. The Hebrew word for life is, get this, chaim. Let me hear you say, chaim. Doesn't that sound familiar? As the first word, achim. Chaim. The two are very related. When God's people, the achim, come together in unity, there is a commanded blessing. Chaim. Where there is achim, there is chaim. When God's people live in unity, even though there is diversity, even though there's different cultures, backgrounds, thinking patterns, the way we worship, the things we believe as doctrinal truths, we could set aside those differences, keep the main thing the main thing. When we come together in unity, there is chaim, the blessing, a commanded blessing of life forevermore. Today, God's people are gathering together at Victoria Park. Different denominations. If you look at the list of pastors that are going to be up leading the prayer, not just pastors, but leaders, we come from very diverse backgrounds. Baptist Pentecostals in the same, that's amazing, in the same prayer gathering. When we can do that, Listen, I believe this is a move of God to gather his people so that he can pour out his blessing of life forevermore. You see, Kitchener-Waterloo is plagued with the spirit of death. Plagued. We hear it on the news. Sometimes you don't hear it on the news, but there's times where we hear it on the news of people dying. Suicide. That's a spirit of death when students from the university feel that they have nothing more to live for and they jump. We can't let that happen. God doesn't want to see that happen. And he's calling his people to pray, to seek his face. And there will be a commanded blessing 
life, life, life. So that those who are far from him, who are bound up in addictions, will be set free to experience life, the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. I have come so that they may have life, life abundantly. That's what these people are all searching for. A reason to live when they experience Jesus. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Wow. They're set free. God wants to see that in our city, in our region. I believe we're going to see that. Jesus said this in John 6, 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Because of me. I believe we're going to see a turnaround in the number of overdoses to fentanyl and all sorts of drugs that are out there right now that are gripping our people, young people, as young as 12 with addictions, suicidal tendencies. This whole generation, I'm going to talk more about this next week as well. It's not just the young people. It's this entire generation. The enemy is just wanting to take this generation out. And there's so many reasons, so many ways that the enemy tries to do that. But I believe it's because he knows that God's up to something. And it's our duty as God's people to come together and pray, pray against all those attacks of the enemy on this generation, to try to wipe out this generation. Because I believe we're going to see a mighty, mighty, massive move of God in this city. We've re- we, we read about it. We study history of how God moved in the past. Remember when God did this in that city. Remember when God... Listen, we're going to start saying, look what God's doing in our city. We're going to see that. And prayer in the park is a huge part of what God is already doing. So I want to encourage you, come out to prayer in the park. You don't have to be there the whole time, 1.30 to 4.30. It's a long time. But come. For those of you who can't come, please pray where you are. Pray for God to move. We need revival. We need it. And I believe God's calling us to pray because he's going to fulfill that prayer request. When God's people dwell in unity, there is a commanded blessing. Life forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Let your glory fall in this room. Let it go forth from here to the nations. 
Let your fragrance rest in this place as we gather to seek your face. Let your glory come and be established here. Lord, let your name be established in this city so that those who are far from you can come close to you and discover in you, Jesus, their greatest treasure. Discover in you that you are our Savior, the one who died for our sin so that we could be set free from sin and death and that we can have the promise of eternal life, that we can have the Spirit of God living inside of us to transform us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we declare freedom in this place, in this city, all across this region, God, to see your will established. God, we want to see your church restored, renewed, revived. God, I am tired of hearing that the church is dying. That's not true. It's not dying. You are shifting things. The body of Christ is growing. God, renew your church. Renew us to make you, Jesus, the main thing. Preaching the gospel, the kingdom, the main thing. That your church would no longer compromise with the ways of this world, but that we would be fixed on seeing your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray for the younger generation, God, that is being taken in all different directions right now, God, I pray that you would grab their hearts. Grab them, Lord God, that they would see you, Jesus, and that they would say yes and amen to you, that amongst an entire plethora of choices that they have to try to fill their souls, God, that they would find in you total satisfaction for their souls. God, I pray for this generation, young and old, that we would see Jesus high and lifted up for who you are. God, I pray that as we gather today at Victoria Park in unity, that there will be those who don't know you hearing all the good things about who you are. I pray that you would grip their hearts, that they would come before you. I pray for salvations, Lord. We pray for salvations at Victoria Park. We pray, Lord God, that there would be so many salvations that the church will be like, oh man, we're in disciple-making mode now. Look at all these new believers. We need to teach them the Bible. We need to teach them the ways of Jesus. We need to teach them all these things. God, I pray that that move would happen in your church. Get your church ready, Lord. Prepare us for that move of your spirit. The baptism tanks, Lord where they are non-operational, would you make them operational? God, release a measure of your spirit today to see this city raised to life. That Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, this whole Waterloo region would be a testimony to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
God, we love you. We know you have great things in store. It's an honor to be a part of what you are doing now in this historic hour. Prepare our hearts. Ready our hearts, Lord, for the harvest, for the outpouring, for the blessing of life forevermore. It's in the strong and mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.